Gracious and loving God, we ask for grace to enter deeply into the season of Advent, that as the world speeds up and our life speeds up, that you would enable us to appropriately slow down and to see you, to love you, to know you. It's in Jesus's name we pray. Amen. If you return, O Israel, says the Lord, if you return to me, if you remove your abominations from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear as the Lord lives in truth, in justice, and in uprightness, the nations shall be blessed by him, and by him they shall boast. For thus says the Lord to the people of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskins of your heart, so people of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, or else, my, or else my wrath will go forth like fire and burn with no one to quench it because of the evil of your doings. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. <clears throat> for surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he the child I delight in? As often as I speak against him, I still remember him. Therefore, I am deeply moved for him. I will surely have mercy on him, says the Lord. <laughs> Set up road markers for yourself. Make yourself signposts. Consider well the highway, the road by which you went. Return, O virgin Israel, return to these your cities. How long will you waver, O faithless daughter? For the Lord has created a new thing on the earth. A woman encompasses a man. Comfort, O oh comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term and her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me, 
I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. All right. So as we continue this little mini series on Jeremiah and Advent, and we couple our conversations with the lectionary for the upcoming Sunday. Um, This is for Advent 2. That second candle is all about preparedness, right? So the first Sunday in Advent is about hope. That's the foundation. And then we prepare for the coming of the Lord on that foundation. And so we're going to look at Jeremiah and these readings through the lens of preparation. What are we preparing for? How do we prepare? Who do we prepare for? And I wanted to start with that reading from Jeremiah when God calls Israel to return. The Hebrew is shuv. It means to return, to turn back. It can be translated repent, but it signifies a change of heart and a change of behavior, a turning back to God's ways, a seeking of forgiveness, right? So think of the younger son who leaves his father's house, has his time eating with the pigs and realizes, Luke says, he comes to himself that he must return, right? That same invitation is offered to us as we prepare to meet the one who will visit us. And Jeremiah gives us a three-step process for what that looks like. In verse one, he says, remove your abominations, do not waver, swear as the Lord lives. And, you know, wrapped up in this archaic prophetic language is really a pretty sane three-step process that mirrors our baptismal liturgy. Number one, get rid of evil. I mean, that's what remove your abominations means. Get rid of the evil in your life. Say no to evil. Number two, do not waver. In other words, mean it, (laughs) right? Like, We don't just renounce evil, we mean it. We intend to follow through. We know the road's going to be rocky and difficult, so we're not going to waver. We're going to mean it because we know that it's hard. And then swear as the Lord lives, put your word, put your hope in the Lord's life, right? Confess God in word and deed. And so anytime we have a baptism in the Episcopal Church mirroring the earliest liturgies, the parents and godparents on behalf of the child or the candidate, if he or she is old enough to do this for themselves, we start by renouncing evil and then we turn to Jesus Christ. It's actually the same three-step process. And note what Jeremiah says about our return to the Lord, about Israel's return to the Lord, then nations shall be blessed by him, by God's people. So the reason I included this passage was not just to highlight that preparedness is rooted in repentance, but to bring in that larger biblical vision of Israel blessing the nations. It's exactly what God says to Abram, you know, leave your home and follow me and all the nations will be blessed in you. And so as we prepare for the arrival of God, the question is always, who is the blessing for? Is it for Judah alone? No. 
Is it for Judah and Israel, right? The, the 12 tribes restored. Is it for them alone? No. Then nations shall be blessed by him. This is for the blessing of the world. And so Jeremiah says, break up your fallow ground. Do not sow among thorns. It's a really interesting thing to say, especially whenever we get to this reading from Isaiah about prepare ye the way of the Lord, right? Breaking up fallow ground is often needed to build a way, to build a road. But also do not sow among thorns. I mean, now you know where Jesus gets his material, the parable of the sower, right? A sower went out to sow. Some fell amongst the thorns, some fell in good soil. If it falls amongst the thorns, it gets choked, right? Don't sow your life in a place where it's going to get choked because why? Verse four, the purpose is to circumcise yourselves to the Lord. And remember circumcision, um, uh, which was the sign of the covenant, was vital for membership in the people of Israel. It was the mark of the covenant. The males were to be circumcised, but God has been speaking of an everlasting covenant, a covenant that will be different, a covenant that will not replace the first covenant, but that is the natural outgrowth and expression of that first covenant, a covenant that God will keep and that is rooted in God's mercy and forgiveness, right? Jeremiah has been speaking of this covenant and circumcision is still the sign of the covenant, but we circumcise ourselves. It is our life. It is our heart. As we're going to see uh, in a later passage, it's for son and daughter. Uh, it is for all people. And just to note, in the early church, there was some debate. It was kind of a heated topic as to whether or not Gentiles needed to be circumcised. And Paul was pretty adamant, no. I mean, if you read Galatians, Paul gets pretty heated over the idea that there's some Jews who want the Gentiles to be circumcised. Why? Because Paul understood Jesus as the fulfillment of this everlasting covenant introduced in Jeremiah, where we circumcise not our foreskins, but our hearts. And so whenever you read about that debate in the New Testament, um, Paul was not doing theological innovation by not having the Gentiles be circumcised. He was actually just living into the prophet Jeremiah's instruction. And so why do we do this? Jeremiah 29, because God says, I will visit you. Um, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. And that plan is tied to my visitation. That's amazing. I mean, God does not say, I'll send a great prophet to visit you. God doesn't say, I'll send a new law to visit you. God doesn't say, I'll send, you know, um, some good vibes from heaven to visit you. God says, I will visit you. And whenever you think about the Old Testament and all the prophets and prophecies that foretell the birth of Jesus, as lovely as the ones we read in Lessons and Carols are, the traditional readings, they're actually not the most powerful ones. Some of the most powerful ones are in the book of Jeremiah when God says flat out, I will visit you. I will come to you directly. Uh, and I want to skip down just a little bit. I'm going to go back to Jeremiah 29 to the end of Jeremiah 31 
when he says the Lord has created a new thing on the earth, a woman encompasses a man. A woman encompasses a man. Now, this can be read in a lot of different ways. It can be read symbolically as a reversal of traditional values. You know, the Lord's going to flip values on its head. A woman encompasses a man. It could speak to uh, a woman's nurture and how uh, a woman nurtures a man and God is going to do that with his people. But what happens at Christmas? Literally, a woman, Mary, encompasses the man Jesus. A woman encompasses a man in her womb. And so whenever God says, I will visit you, a woman encompasses a man, this literally is the Christmas message. God visits us as the Virgin Mary encompasses the child who takes us out of exile and says, I know the plans I have for you, plans for your welfare, not for your harm, plans to give you a future with hope. What is Jesus about but God's plan for our welfare? All of it's in Jeremiah. It's kind of absolutely wild. In Jeremiah 31, uh, God asks, is Ephraim my dear son? As often as I speak against him, I still remember him. And you know, remember, Jeremiah's complaint is that the people have forgotten about God, but God does not forget about God's people. God remembers them. And just a reminder that Ephraim is a symbol for the northern kingdom. Uh, and so here, Jeremiah's vision of restoration, even though he is speaking to Judah and Benjamin, uh, the southern tribes, uh, Ephraim um, the north that a century ago was obliterated by the Assyrians is still remembered by God. It's still part of the restoration. Um, God then tells the people to set up road markers for themselves as they go into highway into exile. Uh, this is a little bit like Hansel and Gretel being asked to leave breadcrumbs so they know the way home. Um, we remember from Jeremiah 50 verse 5, when the prophet says they shall ask the way to Zion with faces turned toward it, because after their 70 years, they forgot how to get home. That's kind of the idea. But whenever God sends them into exile saying, you know, set up road markers, put up signs so that you know how to get back. That's just a symbolic way of saying, I'm going to bring you back. This exile is not permanent. And we've talked a lot about that in the study, how your exile is not permanent. And that's why God says, return, O virgin Israel. Earlier, Israel has been described as a harlot. So what's happened? Have they changed their behavior? Uh, have they somehow purified themselves? No. God is imputing to them the status of virgin. God is, you know, Paul has this idea in Romans that, God reckons righteousness to those who believe. And in a sense, God is reckoning or accrediting Israel with this status as a pure and spotless bride. Okay, so that's all Jeremiah. Now, when we get to Isaiah, we are moving into the lectionary text. And I just want to say a few things. First, Isaiah says, comfort, O comfort my people. Um in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, two Hebrew words here, way and highway, they can be translated in a lot of different ways. 
but they both basically mean the same thing. Uh, it means road. It can be bridge. It can be highway. But basically, uh, Isaiah says, build a new road because there is a coming king. And just so you know, you know, as a conquered people, when people in the ancient Near East were conquered, the conquering king would visit and he would tell the people to build a road. And so literally valleys had to be lifted up. Mountains had to be made low. They had to do a lot of work in order to build a nice new road for the king to visit. And so this was a burden. Right. And it was meant to be a burden. The king wanted the people to know their place, you know, go out, build me a new road. I'm coming to visit my conquered people. And so when anyone in the ancient Near East is told to build a highway for a conquering king, this is bad news, bad, bad news. Right. King wins. You lose. You're a servant. Build him a road. And yet Isaiah begins his prophecy with the word comfort. He says it twice, comfort, O oh, comfort my people. The Hebrew word here is nakem. It means total and complete relief to those in distress. It is the same word that is used, for instance, when uh, Isaac's mom dies and he and Rebecca enter the marriage tent. We're told that in that tent, he experiences comfort, complete and total relief from the distress of his grief losing his mom. And so that image of relief, of intimacy, of union, of husband and wife coming together, it's all kind of wrapped up into this word comfort. The point being that the conquering king hasn't conquered them, but something else. Now, for Christians, this king has conquered sin and death. But it is comforting news. It is, as Mark says, good news. That's how his gospel begins, that this conquering king is coming. And so we are invited to build a road for this king to come into our life, right? So if any of you get a shovel and you know go to your backyard, start building a literal road, you will have missed the point of this text. It is about building a road in your life and in your heart. You know, how do you do that? How do you build a bridge? How do you build a way? How do you build a road for this conquering king to bring comfort to your life? That's the question of Isaiah. And it's picked up by Mark. And he makes it clear from the beginning, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of what happens when a woman encompasses a man and gives birth to the conquering king that Isaiah spoke of. Uh, Mark quotes Isaiah, uh, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And then John the Baptist appears um, proclaiming a baptism of repentance. It's that same word. This is metanoia. It's Greek, but it's the same idea as shuv to bring it back to Jeremiah, proclaiming a baptism of turning around and running back home uh, into the arms of God. And just a note about baptism, you know, this was a new practice. Um, what was in place prior to John was a lot of rituals like self-washing and self-cleansing. But baptism is whenever we are washed by another. We are cleansed by another. And part of the message here is that with Jesus, all the self-washing is done, right? So whatever our preparation is, it is not some ritual whereby we wash ourselves. It's not about getting your own life in order. I'm a sucker for self-help books. 
I read a lot of them, uh, far more than I'm willing to admit. But at the end of the day, that's just about me kind of getting better at being a more controlling human being. <laughs> but it's uh, it, it does very little um, uh, to help me meet Jesus in a deeper way. But meeting Jesus in a deeper way is tied to that word confession. It's about baptism and confession. Now, I don't just mean the sacrament. We've all been baptized. We can't be baptized again. We believe in one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, as we say in the Nicene Creed. But we can let Jesus wash us. I mean, what does Jesus say to Peter? Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. And Jesus baptizes not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. And so what does it mean to be washed by the Holy Spirit? How is that tied to us confessing our sins? Not wallowing in guilt about our sins, but notice this is what Israel would not do. This is what God was pleading with his people to do. Confess, right? Confess that you're worshiping idols, turn back. But they were very stubborn and thus they go into exile. And so again, we are invited not to the bad news of confession, but as Mark says, the good news of confession to confess our need for salvation, to confess our need for mercy, and to confess our desire for Jesus to wash us anew, to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to go back to our question. You know, what are we preparing for and who are we preparing to meet? The one we're preparing to meet, it goes back to that wonderful verse from Jeremiah, a woman encompasses a man. I will visit you, right? We believe that the Lord visits us in Jesus, that he came into this world once uh, in the form of a child, that he will come again in glory at the end of the age, and that through the power of the Holy Spirit, he meets us in our life now. In any way, shape, or fashion, there's a lot of potential ways that God visits us. We prepare for him to visit us and to keep his promise um, that his plan is for our welfare and for a future with hope. So we prepare to meet the one who visits us, which is God himself. And then how do we prepare? We prepare by building him a road, as Isaiah said. Um, a road in our heart. And we do that with practices. We do that with prayer. We do that with silence. We do that with confession. You can think of a lot of different ways that you might prepare to meet Jesus this Advent. But at the end of the day, um, we prepare to meet the one who has promised to bring us Nakem, who has promised to bring us and the whole creation, the comfort of God.